Welcome. Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I'll be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, welcome back from our one-week break. Yeah, man, it was good. Um, I was actually very glad that you didn't spend part of your Disney trip putting in picks. I'm like, I hope Caleb just like enjoys himself uh, doing that. And from talking to you uh, before recording, it sounds like you guys had an awesome trip. Yeah, it was great um, since we missed out on last year, obviously, to mm-hmm. finally get back. Even though it's only been a couple of years, still plenty of new rides. Star yeah. Wars was great, has advertised, maybe probably even better than advertised. So oh. it was um, it was a great time. Quinn's first time. She loved it. She, she was even sad a couple of times on the bigger rides that she couldn't do. Yeah. I think one of the best parts about Disney too is that like you can live vicariously through people with that experience because like you know what it's like you know what the magical experience is and everything like I never thought I'd be as hooked to Disney as I am but like my students even know I'm making Disney references all the time and, and do I love Disney World it's just it's the best place no question for sure heaven will have big thunder mountain don't quote <laughs> me on that um you know Caleb we had a lot of really crazy news this past week to say the absolute least i mean really the last two weeks whenever it whenever it comes down to it um mm-hmm. and and none of it's and none of the news that we're really going to talk about has to do with players we're going to be talking about coaches so uh let's go ahead and let's take a, a little trip on the carnival rides and uh let's go ahead and let's start by looking at a few of these people first one probably the most shocking of them all was oklahoma head coach lincoln riley Lincoln Riley decides, hey, Sooners, it's been awesome, but, like, peace out, see you later, I am out of here, and he ends up going to USC. Like I said, I was shocked by this. You too, or did you kind of think this was coming? No, I was completely stunned by this. Uh, The day before, he was saying he wasn't going to LSU, Lincoln Riley, so maybe he doesn't like the SEC, because obviously Oklahoma will be going there in a couple seasons, or maybe even as soon as next year, so maybe that's part of it. And maybe another part of it is maybe he just thought Oklahoma has peaked, you know? He's had great quarterback play over the last four or five seasons, two number one overall picks, plenty mm-hmm. of Heisman candidates and Heisman Trophy winners, and the best they can do is still only lose in the college football playoff semifinals, so maybe he thinks he can turn around USC and be able to win national championships there, which he hasn't able to do yet at Oklahoma. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously USC also picks up a huge, huge recruit. Uh, you know, and, and Caleb, we were talking about this, uh, I think it was either early this morning or yesterday, and how unsurprised we were by these events that originally uh, Oklahoma commit, uh, what's his name, Malachi Nelson, uh, five-star quarterback, has decided to join Lincoln Riley at USC. So right away, he's going to have uh, an offensive weapon at quarterback to be able to use and, and help them out there. So that was a big one. And then this one surprised me in the sense like I was really disappointed by this LSU decides hey we need a head coach and we want a guy that's a proven winner so they go after Notre Dame head coach Brian Kelly I'm not at all upset with LSU about this I mean this is the guy you won like go after him I'm more upset that Brian Kelly decides to leave in the middle of Notre Dame potentially making a run at the playoffs and just abandoning his team 
Thoughts? Yeah, from what I've learned this week, Brian Kelly is kind of a jerk. He texted the whole team late the night the news had leaked because he hadn't told any of his players yet that he was leaving. Said, yep. hey, well, let's have a meeting at 7 a.m. the next morning, so you guys got to get up early, which I'm sure that football players are kind of used to at this point. But either way, so that meeting happens. It only lasts two minutes. He doesn't allow the players to ask any questions from him. And throughout this whole time, a story resurfaced uh, when he was at Central Michigan, I think. Um, a couple of his assistant coaches, or grad assistants, uh, Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala, both NFL head coaches now, he invited them to a Christmas party, but he made them shovel snow and be the valet parkers for the party instead of actually inviting them into the party. So he seems like he's just kind of a jerk of a person that I'm surprised actually players want to play for him. Yeah, seriously, that is, uh, what a loser. Um, yeah. Louisiana head coach Billy Napier replaces Dan Mullen. Mullen was fired, uh, was it, two weeks ago now from Florida. So, uh, big hire there. One that was was expected. He's definitely seemed like the uh, like the leading candidate from the start. I mean, even before Mullen was fired, there was conversation. Yeah, this. I think this is a good hire, but you, you never know with these things. Mm-hmm. It seems like all these things are just a dice roll of who's a good hire and who's not a good hire. And someone who's who's moving up from a group of five school to a power five school, you never know how they're going to react to that with having to recruit actual good players. But obviously, Florida has plenty of good recruits available that if Billy Napier can get those guys, I'm sure he'll succeed here at Florida. So let's go ahead and let's run down a list of a few other people. SMU head coach Sonny Dykes replaces Gary Patterson at TCU. SMU responds by hiring Miami offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley and TCU interim co- head coach Jerry Kill, formerly of what Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, was hired by New Mexico State, all of which seem like fine hires. Washington hired Fresno State head coach Kalen DeBoer. Uh, Fresno State has been doing well in recent years, so this is a good hire for them. Mm-hmm. And Washington State removes the interim tag from Jake Dickert, who is now the full-time head coach. A lot of movement there, Caleb. Yeah, I'm guessing Sonny Dykes didn't like that SMU was kind of shunned from the Big 12 expansion, so he gets to go there anyways now with TCU, so I think that should be a pretty good hire for them. And it sounds like Fresno State here, their their star quarterback, Jake Hayner, who was originally at Washington, is back in the transfer portal and maybe he will back to Washington. To I have heard that coach. too. So, I have heard that yeah, too. Let's see if that could have kind of worked like uh, Western Kentucky with Bailey Zappi and everyone this year, stealing all those yeah. guys from Houston, Houston Baptist. Maybe Washington can have a quick turnaround with the head coach quarterback combo. Yeah, we'll find out for sure. Um, one really exciting bit of news, former Penn State offensive coordinator, then Mississippi State head coach, and then Oregon offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, is expected to be hired as the Akron head coach following the Pac-12 title game. Certainly wish Coach Moorhead all the best in his new role with the Zips or the Zaps or the Zippity Zappities. Yeah, I'm... I think this is a great hire for Akron. I'm surprised that Moorhead didn't get a better job. Maybe not like the Notre Dame or USC job, but I thought he'd get a slightly better job than the Akron job. But I think this is a good hire for Akron, which has really struggled the past couple of seasons. Yeah, considering all the injuries that we saw with Oregon's offense uh, this year and to see how productive they still were. I mean, Moorhead, I was frustrated with him during the end of his tenure at Penn State, but I mean, the dude produces, so good on him. 
Jacksonville State is getting ready to join the leagues of the FBS and Conference USA in 2023. Well, the head coach that they have and they're planning to keep to help them with that transition is former West Virginia, Michigan, and Arizona State head coach Rich Rodriguez. Uh, Rich Rodriguez getting back to the head coaching game. We will see how that goes. And uh, I think the Jacksonville State fans are hoping it's a lot more like what the Mountaineers had with them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to have someone experienced when you're moving up the FBS like that. Kind of like how Hugh Freeze did with Liberty, but I'm not sure if Rich Rodriguez is quite the same head coach he was about a decade, decade and a half ago. So I'm not to- terribly optimistic. No, I mean, I think if there's one thing we've seen, it's that you know there's been a paradigm shift in coaching, and if you are not somebody that is willing to adapt get left behind. I'm looking right at you, Penn State football coaches. Got some work to do, uh, but we will talk about it. Louisiana Tech hires uh, Texas Tech offense coordinator Sonny Cumbie to replace fired Skip Holtz. I think we had talked about that earlier um, in, in a previous show, but uh, just something to bring up again as we get through this. Uh, meanwhile, a couple schools that need head coaches, Duke, who had Dave Cutliffe let go of him, Temple, who let go of Rod Carey after like a what was it, like a 9-31 and 31 record or something? It was, it was not a very good record at all, even, even for Temple. Uh, and Troy, Chip Lindsey, they are all in need of new head coaches. None of those positions are particularly attractive to me for football, but I do see a potential of, like, you know, Duke wasn't terrible a few years ago, so maybe there. You know, whenever Matt Rule had Temple, he had some things done with it. Yeah, for sure. And... Uh, you know, we didn't talk about Mel Tucker with Michigan State. That's because he's not going anywhere. He's on a huge extension uh, worth, I think, $10 million more. Yeah, $10 million million more than Franklin. And then Mark Stoops with Kentucky gets contract extensions. Smart moves by these schools to lock their guys up. Yeah, because, yeah, like we've seen, anything is really possible. Who really thought Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly would be their jobs if both of them are gone? And you're sure, I'm sure Notre Dame and Oklahoma are looking for big-time head coaches to replace those guys. Yeah, but it won't be Urban Meyer. We know that for sure. Yeah. Which just seems like a wink, mistake. Wink, wink. Yeah. All right, let's get this crazy song off. Mm-hmm. All right, I can think again. Uh, but, you know, it. I love the coaching carousel. It's one of the... It's one of the really fun parts of college football, right up there with National Signing Day and seeing like who who's being brought in uh, to help out your team, and uh, and so that was great to see. the The coaching carousel had a lot of big names. Uh, there also had a lot of big games this past weekend, besides the coaching moves. So let's go ahead, let's rewind and uh, kill. Let's recap. Yes, so week 13, a review rivalry weekend, and we'll start off with the game. Number five, Michigan finally gets their upset victory over number two, Ohio State, 42-27. And it seems to be the season of five rushing touchdowns in a game. This time, Mm -hmm. Hassan Haskins gets it with 169 rushing yards. And this was huge for Michigan. It's their first win over Ohio State since 2011. They had lost eight straight games to the Buckeyes. And this, surprisingly enough, is Michigan's first appearance now in the Big 12 championship game. Crazy. As well as Ryan Day's first loss in conference to a Big 10 foe as he had gone undefeated in the conference in his, what's it, his third season as head coach now for Ohio State. So very impressive that he had lasted that long. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ryan Day has an impressive career. I also, like, I wasn't as surprised with the Michigan stack because I remember in 2016, whenever Penn State was in the title game, thinking like, wow, we're going to have a conference title before 
schools like Wisconsin, like Iowa, like mm-hmm. Michigan, Michigan State. That's pretty awesome. So, um, but nevertheless, you know, good for the Wolverines. I definitely thought that they played the way better game. Uh, I was getting a little bit frustrated with uh, with a few of the calls in there, but you know, great teams. They overcome bad calls. They they do a good job overall. Aiden Hutchinson has now established himself as the number one. Uh, draft prospect and I think that was very well earned he had a dominant game on the line Uh, Stroud just looked confused out there I mean obviously Stroud still had a good day but in critical moments Michigan's defense stepped up in big ways and that's why this game wasn't like a 42-35 or a 42-38 that's why hey like the score I think is pretty accurate for for what we saw in the game I don't know about what your thoughts are though Caleb yeah, I pretty much agree. And not only is Aiden Hutchinson, yeah, maybe the number one pick in the draft. I think, I think this showed, if not him, that I think a defensive player deserves to win the Heisman yes. Trophy this year. Whether it's him, whether it's Will Anderson from Alabama, whether it's one of Georgia's duos of Nicobe Dean or Jordan mm-hmm. Davis. This season, there's not there's been very good quarterback play. C.J. Stroud among them, Bryce Young at Alabama, but this season has been dominated more by defense, in my opinion. And I think a defensive player deserves to win this season. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Like, there's nobody on offense that really stands out to me. It's like, this person deserves the Heisman. There's a while there where I was on the Kenneth Walker train, but he's just had too many, like, eh, games. Mm-hmm. Hutchison has been consistently dominated. In Ojobu, who, first of all, was really cool on game day whenever his parents were there, who has been there as a supporting cast member playing great football. We talked about it since week one, how the size of the Georgia defensive line and how unstoppable they are. That's something that continued throughout this season. Something to, something to pay attention to. So, uh, yeah, I would love to see us get our second defensive Heisman player and, uh, our Heisman winner in, uh, in NCAA history. Yes. All right, let's move on to the Bedlam game. Number seven, Oklahoma State comes back to beat number 10, Oklahoma, 37-33. This ended, I think, a six-game losing streak for Oklahoma State in this rivalry. And they uh, they came back. It was tied at halftime. Oklahoma on a safety and a weird punt uh, punt fumble took a nine-point lead into the fourth quarter, but Oklahoma State scored the final 13 points of this game to pull off the victory. Spencer Sanders... Okay game, one touchdown, two interceptions, but he had 93 yards of rushing as well as a rushing touchdown and was able to just do enough to outplay Caleb Williams here with 250 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions in the game. And it was a crazy game, and now we kind of wonder what happens with Caleb Williams with Lincoln Riley leaving. Yeah, you know, I was... Before this game happened, somebody asked me who I thought would win. I'm like, well, it's a Big 12 game, and the only team in the Big 12 that has a defense is Oklahoma State. So Oklahoma State, I think, will win. And, and you know, it was a high-scoring game, but the team with the defense won. Mm-hmm. Caleb, I'm also curious with Caleb Williams. I'm also curious, uh, also, also curious about Spencer Rattler, who has announced he's going to be transferring uh, to another school. I think that's a good move for Rattler. You know, maybe try to recover your draft stock a little bit. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this was, you know, this game is called Bedlam for a reason, and it was exactly that. It was it was chaos. I was nervous that Oklahoma State wasn't going to be able to pull this thing off, but uh, but they definitely did, and it just confirms what I thought during quarantine. Spencer Sanders shouldn't have been the third-string quarterback. He should have been the first. Yeah, and even though, like you said, high-scoring game, but Oklahoma State's defense was the one there getting the stop late in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. to win this game. So even though they gave up 33 points, not really 33 because the offense gave up a few of those points, they were the defense still won this game in the end. 
All right, on to the upsets. Another upset here. Undef- unranked Minnesota upsetting number 18, Wisconsin, 23-13. to 13. And Tanner Morgan played maybe his best game of the season, 81.1 QBR. Graham Mertz, 50.9, and usually that's good enough for Wisconsin with the way their defense and their running game has played the second half of the season, but that was not enough here. And this loss to Minnesota cost Wisconsin a, a spot in the Big 12 championship game. Whoa, whoa, hold up, Caleb. Sorry to interrupt. You know, this is – sorry, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's 8.48 p.m. Just want to bring this out real quick. Notre Dame defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman is expected to become the next head coach at Notre Dame per Bruce Feldman on Twitter. Um this move was first reported, though, by Mick Asaf, co-founder of the Yoki Team app. This is big news, Caleb. Sorry to sorry to interrupt your uh, recap, but you know, just uh, something for the coaching carousel to keep in mind. Yeah, I think that's a good hire for Notre Dame. They poached him away from Cincinnati a season ago. Great defense at Cincinnati last year. Now yeah. they get to keep him here. I know uh, Brian Kelly really wanted to bring him down to LSU with him, but. I think being the head coach of Notre Dame is greater than being the defensive coordinator for any yeah. SEC school. Yeah, this is a smart move for sure. Uh, sorry, so like getting back to this game, you know, I, I think again this demonstrates that Wisconsin, even if you just have mediocre play, it's not going to be enough for your overall offense. Like you need somebody that can can pass better than that, and that's why, like at first, whenever Mertz was was in his first ever game, you know, we're like, whoa, do they finally have a passer? I mean, maybe like this is a maybe, you know, we just talked about Spencer Rattler being in the transfer portal. Could this be a good location for him? Could he take like the Russell Wilson route where, you know, he played at NC State and then went to Wisconsin as like, I think, a graduate transfer? Could this be a location? Rattler, even though he's not the most accurate passer, uh, he, he can still make big plays. I would definitely say he would be a huge upgrade for Mertz. Yeah, that's very interesting. You and I were kind of just throwing places out back and forth. Mm hmm. Uh, when we heard that Rattler was transferring. And, yeah, this could be a good option for them just to at least give uh, Wisconsin a threat of a passing game, which they really haven't had, like you said, since Russell Wilson. So Mm -hmm. they have the dominant defense. They're always going to have good running backs. They have a great offensive line. But, they yeah, they just really haven't had quite the dynamic at quarterback, and maybe Spencer Rattler can give them that. Exactly. All right, and Ed Orgeron's final game at LSU. They get the upset victory over number 15, Texas A&M, 27-24. Max Johnson hits Jare Jenkins with 20 seconds to go for the go-ahead touchdown pass. He had three touchdown passes of the game, two of them to Jenkins. And Zach Calzada, he let it come back earlier in the fourth quarter as they were down late. He threw two touchdown passes to take the lead in the fourth quarter. And but that was not quite enough as LSU comes back and sends off Ed Ogeron in style. Yeah, definitely not the way that that I think many of us expected this game to end. But you know, kudos to LSU. Even after finding out Coach O wouldn't be coming back, this team never gave up, and so you know, that tells me that that they must have really loved having him as a uh, as a head coach. And uh, so certainly wish Coach O the best and whatever his future may hold. I'm not sure if he's going to like fully end up retiring or if he's going to end up looking for another gig. I hear there's a few jobs open, uh, but mm-hmm. you know, best wishes to him. Yeah. I think the whatever $17 million he's getting is pretty good too. I, I think he'll be able to hang in there. Okay. Yep. 
Next up, we got North Texas ending the undefeated season for UTSA, 45-23. And it was the ground game here as North Texas's top three running backs had 50 carries, 331 rushing yards, and six rushing touchdowns on the game. And the other big difference maker was third down. UTSA was just one of 13 on third down, while North Texas was seven of 13 on third down. And just an unfortunate end here for UTSA season as they were having a magical season up to this point. Yeah, I kept following this game, hoping UTSA would be able to pull off the comeback, but it just never happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, North Texas with that run game, you know, they, they did the smart thing. They kept these long, sustained running drives, kept UTSA's offense off the field, and so there's nothing they could do. Uh, there was no momentum to build on, and so pfft, they're done. Yeah, and the score wasn't even that close. I think UTSA scored the final touchdown or two of this game. Yeah, it's not, like it, it really was not close. Yeah. All right, and we'll end with the Iron Bowl here as number three Alabama survives Auburn 24-22 in four overtimes. Uh, Auburn was shutting out Alabama into the fourth quarter, but Bryce Young threw the game-tying touchdown pass with just 24 seconds to go. Then each team scored a touchdown in the first overtime, field goal in the second overtime. They both got their two-point conversion in the third overtime, but Alabama was able to stop Auburn in fourth overtime and get the win, hang on to their playoff aspirations for at least one more week, and get that Iron Bowl victory in what is kind of been just a, a an underwhelming season for Alabama even though they're still 11 and 1 on the year. Yeah. Uh Caleb new overtime sucks, right? Yeah, I mean, I get trying to end the game as fast as possible, but just having these two-point conversions is is especially when you get to nine overtimes like Penn State, it's just it's just so you, you can only run so many plays from the 2-yard line. Right. And like I I think it's like I think that it really limits creativity. Plus, like these instant classics where where the games go longer. I, I loved that mm-hmm. about the games, but whatever. Uh, I also was frustrated with some officiating in this game. Uh, for starters, there was a pass that Bryce Young threw that was that whenever Sean Clifford threw it, the SEC officials called intentional grounding, where it was clear that the uh, the receiver didn't run the correct route. But they still called intentional grounding. Young runs it there and um, or throws it there and nothing. So, you know, lack of consistency by officiating this season. Uh, and that wasn't the only call in the game that made me think, oh, this is frustrating. You know, as soon as the game, as soon as Alabama had that last drive, you couldn't help but feel like uh, something was going to happen where Alabama's going to get back in it. And then because they have the depth, they're going to be able to take care of business. But. Oh, well, good job by Auburn being able to, even though like they lose this game, they, they definitely uh, put a scare into to Bama. Yeah, and I read this was the first ever overtime game in the Iron Bowl history. So. Wow. Yeah, crazy. All right, let's move on to the Big Ten. We got number 16, Iowa, beating Nebraska 28-21. Nebraska scored the final 22 points of this game after trailing 21-6 to in the third quarter. Uh, I didn't watch this game. This was the Friday game. But mm-hmm. when I saw the score, I'm like, wow, Iowa scored four touchdowns in a game. And then I looked in. There was like a safety in there, a bunch of field goals, a defensive touchdown, and I think only one offensive touchdown. So it was a pretty classic Iowa way to score 28 points. Yep. But uh, let's go ahead. Let's sign Scott Frost to five more years. Yep. Only lost. I I saw he – so Nebraska won one and eight in conference this season. Good job. Even Even point differential. Same points scored as points allowed in those nine conference games. Pretty. What? Pretty, 
Yeah. What? That's how much they blew out. Who they bought? Northwestern. They blew them out by that many points. That, and that just goes to show they lost every other game by I think a touchdown or less. So, yeah. And then the rest of these games were pretty anticlimactic. Maryland whoa, crushing whoa, whoa. Rutgers. Maryland and Rutgers. Like, come on, there's stuff on the line here, Caleb. <laughs> yeah, the winner winner got to go to a bowl game. Maryland won 40 to 16. So their mm-hmm. first bowl game in five years. Good for them. Illinois crushes Northwestern 47 14. And Purdue finally puts an end to Indiana season 44 to 7. Indiana winless in conference play. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Big Ten this season is, is truly the epitome of the haves and the have nots. The teams at, top, at the top are really stinking good, mm-hmm. teams at the bottom are really, really terrible. And there's really only like one or two middle teams. Yep. So, yeah, it's it's all that stuff. All right, let's move on to Penn State. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know what to say, Caleb. This game, in the words... Just uh, felt like a perfect way to end the season. Yeah, in the words of Dennis Green, but paraphrased, it is what we thought it would be. Penn State goes in this game favored over number 12 Michigan, but that did not fool us. We knew that if the opportunity was ar- was to arrive where victory was at hand, we would surely find a way to give it up. Uh, and this is the case as Penn State loses to number 12 Michigan State, 30-27. to 27. You know, I want to kind of talk about something out there, though. I see people on Twitter talking about, like, oh, you negative Penn State fans. Like, you're, like, freaking out, blah, 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 blah. And, like, you can't be like this if you want to help with the rebuild. Well, you know, like, I think it's reasonable for us to have expectations, especially from a team that was 5-0 and starting the year out, and to then see this dumpster fire of a situation. And this isn't from a lack of talent. I attribute it to two things. One, poor coaching. Two, lack of effort. I think the talent is there. I think there are players that were out on that field that just looked like they didn't want to be there. And I'm looking mainly at the defense in a good chunk of this game outside of people like Ebiketti and uh, a couple of the linemen. But maybe that's just me, but but that was how I felt in this game. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the worst defensive performance of the season for it was Penn terrible. State. I know it's cold and snowy and there's nothing really to play for other than the land grand trophy. But um, It's a beautiful trophy. It is. Um, but yeah, it was the Penn State allowed two touchdowns in the first quarter. It's the first time they allowed any touchdowns in the first quarter all season. So you got a still very impressive feat, feat by the defense this season to not give up a touchdown in the first quarter until the final game of the year. Yeah. Daquan Hardy with a pick six. So he was there, but no sacks as a team is stinks. I know sacks aren't everything. Quarterback pressures. Quarterback pressures and hits and all that stuff can very can be influential as well, but they just weren't getting enough to to affect the quarterback to affect Peyton Thorne enough in this game. I don't think. Yeah, and you know, if you, if we were to talk about a player that was on like a downward trajectory right now, man, that's got to be the guy that I've been talking about all season. I've loved Joey Porter Jr. has been struggling down the stretch this season, giving up some big plays, getting called for DPIs a lot, and like. Yeah, some of them aren't very good, but like some of them, like Joe, you can't do that, man. Like, like you can't be grabbing onto a person's jersey or wrapping around them a little bit there. Like, not. I don't know. It, it just wasn't looking great uh, in a position that's generally been an area of strength in our defensive back or in our defensive backfield 
as well outside of Daquan Hardy's pick six, as you had already mentioned. Obviously, Brisker and Brown are, are good with the tackles, but and I saw somebody else say this on Twitter, and uh, I can't remember who it was, but like we have to be leading the nation in dropped interceptions because like Patrick Thorne is not a good quarterback. He's not, and you know I feel like we gave Michigan State way too many opportunities to to wreck us in the game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, the Porter DPI was. Bad timing, third and long, I think, on that play. I don't think it was pass interference, but in the snow, you're kind of still grabbing him. Ball probably wasn't catchable, but you're get, you're just giving the ref an opportunity to call the, the penalty, and that's what exactly what the ref did, allowing that fourth and long touchdown pass with the two defenders in the area. I don't know what was going on with that play. Uh, well, we also... Yeah. We also know this season that the refs have been calling really soft DPIs. So you got to keep that in mind. You know, like like there are ways that you can still effectively defend the pass. I know that yeah, there's a lot of hand fighting that goes on whenever you're whenever you're out there, but there are just certain basic things that the ref is always going to call whenever they see it this season that they weren't giving anything to. Anytime like a hand was on an arm and the ball was in the air, they were going to call it there. So like find other ways to get around that. Joey Porter Jr. is very fast. He's got a good jump. He can still break up those passes, but you know he, he just didn't do it in that game. And he's not the only one that has there. There's cornerbacks all over the country, but this is the one that we see every week. And this is the guy that was having a dominating performance that honestly could have been a first uh, a first All-Big Ten mention or All-First Big Ten honor uh, earlier in the season that I think he just ended up with an honorable mention. Is that right? Yeah, I don't even know if he actually got honorable mention. I have him all listed for next week when we review the whole season coming up next week. We got a lot of players mentioned in it. Yeah, it was just uh, it was just like the the defense and the whole team played terrible for the first ten minutes of this game, and then they're right back in it by halftime. And you're like, oh, so this is why we're favored by four and a half points on the road or five and a half Mm -hmm. points on the road against a top fifteen team, team with only two losses on the season. So. And then they just, just like the second half of the season, they just can't finish the games. I know some of them have been due to injury, but against Michigan, against Illinois, against Iowa, against Ohio State, they just can't quite finish these games. And you, it's it's frustrating. They're so close in. I think that's why they're giving Franklin this contract extension another chance. You saw how it worked for Michigan this year mm-hmm. with Jim Harbaugh. Now he's in the Big Ten championship game after their terrible season last year. So I think if you if they can just correct these little things, I think they're right on the cusp. And I think they're, especially with Aller and Singleton coming in next year, they might have enough at least high-end talent to compete with the Ohio State to, to be the best team in the conference, which I know obviously Ohio State's not winning the conference this year, but they're clearly still the, the top dog. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, yeah, this is just frustrating end of the season. But I think they are close if they can just fix these small things. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, let, let's talk offense side of the ball. Sean Clifford didn't have like a terrible day. He's 23 of 34, 313, three touchdowns, but he gets sacked four times. Uh, there's a lot of conversation that I keep hearing people say like, oh, is Sean Clifford going to use that sixth year of eligibility to come back? No, he's he's done. And if he isn't done, I think Drew Aller is going to come in and assert himself as the as the quarterback. Um, but like down again, down the stretch, we, we have this stupid obsession Despite the fact that we cannot run the football, like if you look at the offensive line, there is zero movement 
Zero positive gain by the offensive line. But we keep on trying to run the freaking football, and nothing is produced out of it. Yeah, Lee had 79 yards. You know what else he had? He had a fumble. Ford, two rushes for seven yards. Kane, one for nothing. This is just like a consistent story. We can't run the football, but we are extremely successful whenever we pass. You know how we've been successful passing? Because we find people like Jahan Dotson. Michigan State has the worst pass defense in the conference. And whenever we threw to Dotson, you know, he was stellar. Eight receptions, 137 yards, two touchdowns. Why are we trying to run run a running back up the gut whenever we can hit Dotson or Parker Washington, who also had a good game, or get Keandre Lambert-Smith back involved in this offense again, or hit Brenton Strange or Theo Johnson uh, on, like, a seam route up the middle? Like, why aren't we trying to pass against them? This is a coaching issue, Caleb. Yeah, you just... I know you want to be balanced and everything, but balance doesn't always mean 50% run, 50% right. pass. It means doing what's best for your team. And right now, with our offensive line and with, especially in this game, with Michigan's pass defense, it's better to pass the ball more than run the ball. Whether it's, it doesn't have to be 100% pass, but it should be probably 75, 80% passes mm-hmm. with, the, with the talent we have at wide receiver, with the talent we have at tight end, with the. Clifford having enough at least arm strength to get them the ball and the uh, a good enough quarterback. It's just, it's what you got to do. It's you see it, you see it in other levels of football. You see with other teams, they they do what works best for them, and those are the more successful teams. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about another big elephant in the room. Uh, you know, this was, we lost this game by three points. We left four points on the field. In an embarrassing fashions, Jordan Sha- Jordan Stout. I mean, like I don't know, he is a friend of the show, but like Jordan, man, twenty-seven yard field goal missed, missed an extra point. That's four points right there. He was struggling so much with kicking. They brought Jake Pinnegar in, and he was one for one on his extra points right down Broadway. I don't understand. And, and I think we alluded to this before. Like Stout has to punt and do all the kicking responsibilities. His legs got to get tired. Why aren't we putting Pinnegar in there to kick those field goals? Because I don't think he misses the 27-yarder. I don't think he misses the extra points in this game. And maybe we end up winning it. Stout had a good day punting, three punts for 48 yards. But, like, let Pinnegar handle the short-range kicks again. But, you know, the coaches, they had in their in their one-track mind that they weren't going to deviate from this plan because back in August, Stout beat an injured Pinnegar. That's awesome. If you want to tell me that Pinnegar hasn't been able to grow and improve in that time, then you're a terrible coach. And I don't think these guys are terrible coaches. I think they got to stop being so prideful and start to recognize maybe sometimes we need to make some changes because that's what's been bothering me too with a lot of these press conferences after losses is that nobody in the coaching staff wants to take ownership or be accountable for the decisions made. They want to find other reasons and other places that they can scapegoat rather than saying, this is a mistake we made. This is something that like I as the coach need to go back and correct. Yeah, just rant over. Yep. Yep, not a great game for the special teams. Love mm-hmm. it, lost that fumble on the punt return, muffed it there. That was awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just we. Everything was there for Lovett to kind of take over some responsibility this year with how much our running backs have struggled in the run game, in the return game, and he just wasn't it this year. And he, I guess that's why he left Baylor. Why Baylor let him go? I know he was more of a graduate. I think he was a grad transfer, but still. Yeah, he gone. Uh, Coaching-wise, this is Coach Franklin's 100th game at Penn State. He has a 67% winning percentage 
Um, but like again, in the last two seasons, he's eleven and ten. Mm-hmm. Yikes! Um, so like, I'm just gonna say what I said before as we start to wrap things up with the game. When Penn State wants to show up, they play well. And we saw that the first five weeks of the season. They wanted to play well all 60 minutes, and so they dominated. I'm not saying that there are player that every player gives up because like this game, and Caleb, I think I texted this to you. It looked like Clifford, Dotson, and uh and Washington all on offense wanted to be there. It didn't look like anybody else on offense really wanted to be there. On defense, it looked like Arnold Ebiketti and Daquan Hardy wanted to be there. I mean, I'm sure Brisker and Brown and, and some of the other guys that had tackles did, but these are the players that like I saw a lot of fire out of during the game. That's not a lot on a 22 uh, like on a 22 starting rotation of players. You know, everybody needs to show up if you're going to win these upset games and uh so like it it just really ticks me off whenever I whenever I don't see that. And yeah, I know. Like I get it. Sometimes you have a bad day, but this is this is consistently happening in these big spots. I'm getting sick and tired of not being able to pull off these upsets. And I realize that they're upsets because they don't happen happen often. But these each one of these games this season, we should have won. But then we made a poor decision somewhere along the lines where we gave it up. Or in this last game, we made poor decisions and players were just like, eh, you know. Like I'm sure in their minds and like on their tweets, they'll say like, oh, we played our heart out. But it was not the team that I saw the first five weeks. No, definitely not. And I'd say even the Ohio State team, the Ohio State team, I think they really showed up and played the best they could and right. did it there. But yeah, they just, yeah, I think we're not close. Yep, I think we're close. But some of it, I think, is a little bit of bad luck, especially with the injuries. But some of it is coaching, some of it is player execution. And those are the things that hopefully we can fix next yeah. year and hopefully parlay into a 10, 11, 12 win season. Yeah, to paraphrase uh, Franklin, we're not a good team. We're an okay team, mm-hmm. um, in my thoughts. Whenever it comes down to it, like I said, you know, Dotson clearly looked like he wanted to be there. Michigan State didn't have an answer for him. So, like, if I'm picking an MVP, that's who I'm going with. Uh, Caleb, I see that, that you also chose Dotson. Any other reasons that you'd like to mention? Nope. I'm just going yeah, with Jahan Dotson, best player, and probably be our top draft pick next year mm-hmm. in, the, in the NFL draft and send him off with a farewell. Though, I think we'll see. I hope he plays for the for the bowl game. I think he will. Yeah, I think he will too. You know, speaking of, I'm still irritated that he, that neither he and, and we'll talk about this again later. Like you said, neither he nor any of the Ohio State wide receivers were mentioned in the Blitnikoff stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, as I also said on Twitter, like the Blitnikoff, the Blitnikoff, and really all those awards have lost a lot of credibility with me um, as of late. So whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. David Bell had a great season, but I think those two games against uh, Michigan State and um, Iowa, where he had a 200 yards in each of those, I think those two won him the mm-hmm. finalist for the Bilinikoff Award, and I think he won Wide Receiver of the Year in the Big Ten. I think Olave, Wilson, Dotson were better and more consistent the whole season than David Bell, though. Yeah, and that's why they'll probably have better pro careers. But that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, with this loss, we are unranked. Penn State is seven and five after a five and zero start. And you know, listeners know how I've been feeling about this season as we've been progressing. And we'll talk more about this stuff later on. And who knows? Maybe we'll even get Caleb fired up about it. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, 
James Franklin signed the 10-year, $75 million contract extension. I mean, like, I'm not on the bandwagon of fire Franklin, but I'm definitely not on the, like, Franklin is infallible bandwagon or, like, the team Franklin right now. I mean, there's always an opportunity for next season, but right now I'm I am very disillusioned with him, so I wasn't happy with 10 years, Caleb. Yeah, I think just when Mel Tucker in his second season and only really one good season at Michigan State gets 10 years and I think $95 million, mm-hmm. it's just when Franklin has all these 11 win seasons on his resume and in eight, what, seven or eight winning seasons at Penn State and then plus the success at Vanderbilt, he's, he's obviously going to get at least something comparable to that, even if his last right. two seasons haven't been as good. And Obviously, Harbaugh is going to get a huge extension here soon, you would think. And Stoops is getting one, even though Kentucky's what best season under him is what nine wins or ten wins, something like that, when they beat us in the <laughs> bowl game. So it's just, I think it's just how college football is right now with these massive extensions. I think Brian Kelly and Mike uh, Lincoln Riley both got ten-year deals. It's just everyone's getting ten-year deals. Ryan Day yep. will probably be next. He'll get a twenty-year deal. Um, <laughs> Also, big news, Virginia Tech has hired the former graduate assistant of Coach Beamer at Virginia Tech and the now former defensive coordinator of Penn State, Brent Pry, as their next head coach. This is a brilliant signing for the Hokies. I mean, Brent Pry, in, in my opinion, Kale, was one of the few people that was doing things right this season. My, uh, my assistant principal, he is a uh, big Virginia Tech fan, and so I saw him in the locker bay today. And I went up to him. I was like, man, Nick, like you guys took our, you guys took my defensive coordinator. He's like, well, should we be happy about that? I was like, yeah, Brent Pry is a great coordinator. I think he's going to be a great coach for, for the Hokies too, Caleb. Yeah. I think this is a good hire. I think, yeah, some Virginia tech fans are underwhelmed because it's not a big name, but Brent Pry has been great for us. I know he's, he's had his haters in the past, but the defense is usually really good. I think it's been top 10 three out of the past five years or something like that three out of the past six years. So he's really good defense. The defense has been the better part of the, the team this season, even if they finish with a bit of a dull performance here against Michigan State. So and uh, the other thing, if you combine uh, Brent Pry with uh, Joe Moorhead at Akron, I think Franklin's going to have to do a little bit a little bit tougher for him to recruit in the area because those are both two localish enough schools that he'll have to compete for those. Mm-hmm. I think maybe not the five star prospects. I think they'll four and five the upper four and five star prospects will still want to come to Penn State. But well, the- I can see like I can still see you know in Loudoun County, Virginia. Mm-hmm. That, that's where I work now. Um, there's a lot of five stars there, and I think as of right now, two of them are going to Penn State. I can totally see them dipping down to Virginia Tech now. Mm-hmm. Like people. So far, people that I've seen that are Virginia Tech fans, like they're excited about this hire. But uh, the ones that are upset and wishing they had a bigger name, well, how about your team gets relevant for like the first time in like 50 years? And then, or, you know, since since, Michael uh, Vick. Yeah, Michael Vick or Tyrod Taylor was your quarterback. How about you Mm -hmm. like show some stuff? And I think Prize a guy that can get you there. So Mm -hmm. um, definitely exciting. Yeah, I mean, fortunately for Penn State, our top recruits are quarterback and running back, so I don't think they'll leave. But uh, I wonder nope. if like Danny Dennis Sutton, a defensive lineman from Maryland, if he's probably made a good connection with Coach Pry, if he, he might be the guy that if anyone leaves, that could be him. Yeah, so now we have to figure out who will replace him. But, you know, we got time for that. Um, mm-hmm. Something that 
we're running out of time for is figuring out who's going to be in the playoffs. We got our top four right now at Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, and Cincinnati. Uh, Oklahoma State and Notre Dame are still in the mix. Uh, Ohio State, Baylor, Oregon, Iowa, they're still kind of there, but I'm not really thinking there's yeah, any shot about that. Yeah, that's if, like, huge chaos goes right. on. I think one of those teams may be able to get there. Yeah, like, Iowa's in there, but that's that's more of a situation of, like, They crush Michigan and yeah. – bunch of other things happen Oklahoma right, like, State loses um Cincinnati the loses. headquarters sets fire and yeah yeah, yeah these yeah. are one in a million chances for some of these teams down there so you know and, if things turn out and yeah. and like Georgia beats Bama like I'm hoping the committee will take Bama out if that's the case and put Oklahoma State in mm-hmm. but yeah, I think and this is just based on what the committee's at, I think if Oklahoma State wins, they're in. If Cincinnati yeah. wins, I'm not sure they're in no. if Alabama wins. Because if Alabama right. wins, they're in, Georgia's in, Michigan's in, assuming they win and Oklahoma State's in, I think mm-hmm. Oklahoma State would pass Cincinnati in that case. I so agree. I think Cincinnati needs Alabama to lose. Yeah. But, um, no, I was reading earlier, and yet yeah, if you lose to a top two team in the conference championship game, you don't usually fall far in the last ranking. Mm-hmm. So... I think Alabama would fall to five, assuming Cincinnati and Oklahoma State both lost. But yeah. they might, if one of them loses, they'll they probably will still be in, even with a loss. I would I wouldn't be surprised if they're ranked above Notre Dame still. Yeah, but like I'm not interested in rematches like mm-hmm. that are a weaker or that are like a game apart. Yeah, like I I think that's what the college football playoff committee needs to consider. I just saw that they have decided that they still can't come to an agreement on the playoff expansion, and they're going to look at it again in January. Well, like hurry up and make something because I like I said I don't want to see Georgia and Alabama play each other, you know, thirty times in a year. Yep, let's hope that uh, Georgia beats Alabama by like three touchdowns, which I think is possible. Yeah, with the way Auburn shut down Alabama's offense, and Georgia's defense is even better, so. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think Alabama could be in for a very low scoring game. Yeah, we will see. All right, let's move on to our picks. Let's do it. Two weeks ago, as we obviously took off last week, you won six and two. I won six and three. Got my mm-hmm. underdog pick right again. So Brutal. we both have thirty four losses on the year, but I have sixty six wins to your sixty three. So mm-hmm. you still, I guess, got a chance here with a. This weekend. I'm going to go ahead and say probably not. <laughs> probably not, but you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think we had a pretty good first year of underdog picks, though. You got two yeah. correct if my counting's right. I got five correct, yeah. including three in a row at one point. So yeah. I call that a, an unqualified success for picking yeah. 10, point or more, or 10 points or more each week. We don't get points for covering like they do on college game day. Right. We don't pick those three-point underdogs like they do sometimes. We, mm-hmm. we go big, and I think it was a good season for us. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and you know, Caleb. Every what I really like about our game picks is at the end of every season, it's always close. And right now, the only thing that's separating us is that underdog pick thing. Is mm-hmm. our we need to come up with a cool name for it, and, and maybe we can spend the off season uh, coming up with something for it. But uh, or again, maybe Becca can think of something for us yep, to she, name it. Yep, she got who you got. So we'll um, we'll think of something. Exactly. Exactly. All right, you want to start us off here? 
Yeah, let's do it. So Conference USA Championships getting ready to come up. We got Western Kentucky, who started the season off a little bit slow as the yep. two-and-a-half-point favorite at UTSA happening on Friday. UTSA beat Western Kentucky in the regular season, 52-46, to uh, in a very high-scoring shootout. Caleb, who you got in the rematch? Yeah, that was Western Kentucky's last loss. They've won seven in a row since that point. One of the five longest winning streaks in the nation, uh, Western Kentucky. And Bailey Zappi has an outside chance at most touchdown passes in a season. He's at 52 this season. The record's 60. And he threw for five last time against UTSA. So watch out for Bailey Zappi. And I think Western Kentucky is going to pull off the upset. Or I guess not an upset anymore. They're going to revenge. That's what they did. They're going to avenge their, avenge, lo- yeah. avenge their loss to UTSA. And um, I think Bailey Zappi will lead the way again. So I will take the Hilltoppers. Phil, who you got? Bailey Zappi in the country is first in yards, first in touchdowns and first in my heart. Go Hilltoppers, go Western Kentucky. Next up, we got the Mac championship, which we both agreed should be on a Wednesday night or something like that. Not, thousand on, a, percent. not on a Saturday. We got Kent state, the three point favorite against Northern Illinois. This game we played in Detroit. Kent state won the regular season meeting 52, 47, another high scoring game here. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I, I wasn't as good at following the Mac this season, so I'm, I'm kind of just going with the betters on this one. Um, I've seen North Illinois in limited action. I've seen their offenses move well, but I've also seen times where, like, Kent State's defense can, can not necessarily shut down an offense, but keep them at bay. Um, yeah, this rematch score also kind of ties into what I think, because I, I think Kent State pulls us out, but this is probably one of my least confident picks. Caleb, who you got? I'll go the other way. I'll take Northern Illinois. We were watching them a couple weeks ago, one of our last mm-hmm. shows, and I don't know. They just impressed me just enough to say I'll, I'll take them against Kent State. I like it. <laughs> uh, after this game, we are then looking down to the Mountain West Conference where we got Utah State at number 19, San Diego State. San Diego State's a six-point favorite. Um, Utah State is seeking its first conference championship with the Mountain West having previously won the WAC. And yo, man, that's WAC, Caleb, in 2012. Whack. Hey, in this game, who you got? I'll take San Diego State. Um, they've been they've had a really good season, kind of under the radar since they lost mm-hmm. early enough in the season, so they weren't up there with UTSA as the undefeated Power Five team or Group of Five team. Um, so I'll take San Diego State playing at home. Phil, who you got? Yeah, San Diego State's got a steady horse on offense. Uh, the, it seems like they got a pretty balanced approach. So uh, I also like San Diego State in this game. Moving on to the Sun Belt, we got Appalachian State, three-point favorite at Louisiana. Louisiana blew out App State in the regular season, 41-13. to Phil, who you got? It is generally a crisis for me. Um, to pick against Appalachian State, and so I'm not going to. You know, Louisiana's got some good stuff, but this wasn't this wasn't the season that they, you know, necessarily were hoping for. I would say, um, as compared to last season, like obviously you're in the conference championship, you're having a good season, but as compared to last year, and eh, not so much. Uh, Appalachian State started their season also kind of slow ish and, and they're really picking up steam. So I, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take the 41, 13 loss that Appalachian state had from before and count that as a fluke and say, uh, they come in and take care of business. Caleb, who you got? 
I think I read Billy Napier supposed to coach this game, but he's obviously got one foot out the door ahead uh-huh. of Florida. So, yeah, I'll take App State. Mm-hmm. I'll continue my avenge tour here. I'll say App State gets their event, their revenge as well. I like it. Uh, let's see. Is the next one me or you? It's um. We've already gotten you. lost kills. I'll just do it. Yep. Yeah, in the AAC, we got number 21 Houston at number four Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a 10.5 point favorite. Both teams are seeking their second championship in the AAC. Caleb, who you got? I'm taking Cincinnati. They're right on the cusp there. They know they got a chance to make it to the playoff, and I think they're going to keep it. Uh, Luke, Luke Fickle, as of we know right now, is not going anywhere, so I think he's focused on this one and ready to get a uh, group of five team into the playoff in. So I think Cincinnati will do it. Phil, who you got? Since he covers. Well, all right, let's move on to the Power Five teams. Starting with the Pac-12, we got number ten Utah against number seventeen. U- or sorry, number ten Oregon against number seventeen Utah. Utah. About a field goal favorite in this one. They're playing Friday night in Las Vegas. Utah crushed Oregon 38-7 to just a couple weeks ago. Phil, who you got? I think since then, uh, that was that was a kind of low period for Oregon. I think they've made the corrections they need. You know, Moorhead leaving eventually is going to be a big loss, but uh, if the defense can step up, I think they're going to be just okay. So I think the Ducks take this one. Caleb, who you got? I'm going with Oregon as well. So this one's neutral field instead of at Utah like the last one was. Utah is a tough Mm -hmm. place to play. So I think the neutral field, I think Oregon will be better prepared for this one. And I think they'll be able to take a close victory here. Uh, Big 12, we got number nine, Baylor versus number five, Oklahoma State, who is the five and a half point favorite. This game is being played in Dallas. And whenever they played in the regular season, Oklahoma State beat Baylor 24 to 14. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, just like Cincinnati, Oklahoma State is right on the cusp there, the college football playoff appearance, and I think that just motivates them to beat Baylor, beat them handily, and hopefully clinch their spot in the playoff. Phil, who you got? You know, I feel like a broken record, but uh, it comes down to who has the better defense, and I think Oklahoma State is the better defense, so go Cowboys. Ah. Moving on to the SEC, we got number one, Georgia, six and a half point favorite against number three, Alabama. This game is played in Atlanta. These teams have met twice before in the championship game. Alabama won them both, 2012 and 2018. Phil, who you got? Yeah, and both of those championship games were, were something to follow. But uh, in those cases, both teams were very equally matched, I would say. I think Georgia's defense is absolutely suffocating. And uh, I think I, I don't think Bryce Young has what it takes to stand up against them and be able to pull off the victory. So I got the Bulldogs. Should be a good game, though, Caleb. Who you got? I'm going Georgia as well. Everything kind of points Alabama. If you look at history, Nick Saban against his former assistants, Kirby Smart being one of them. Nick Saban against Georgia's those, those 2018 and 12 teams. Georgia was really good those years probably in contention for national championships and obviously they are again this year this time i think georgia's just flat out the better team and they'll be able to pull off the victory and claim sec champions i like it 
Uh, this next game that we got coming up here in the ACC, who would have thought this was the matchup? Number 15, Pitt, as the three-point favorite versus number 16, Wake Forest, in Charlotte. This is the second appearance for both teams, Wake Forest having previously won the ACC in 2006 and Pitt losing in the game in 2018. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, if Pitt wins, which I am predicting here, it'll be their first outright conference championship in any conference, so that'll be wow. a pretty big moment for them. Kenny Pickett having a great season, breaking all of Dan Marino's passing records at Pitt for a single season, and I think he he's going to get some Heisman love, and I think Pitt, I think this should be a really high-scoring game. Unlike most of the other group of five ga- or power five games here, I think this will by far be the high scoring. Should be a really fun one, and I think the Panthers take it. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I mean, again, Pickett should be good because he's been playing in college football for roughly two decades. Uh, I mean, so like he's got a lot, but like I'll give credit where credit's due. He's had some really impressive performances passing the season as well. But I love Hartman with Wake Forest and, and, you know, they've struggled a little bit recently, but there's something about Sam Hartman and that story and that narrative that just makes me want to, like, I'm not going to pick against what I want in this game. I want Wake Forest to win. So I'm picking Wake Forest. And finally, we got the big 10. We got number two, Michigan, a 10 and a half point favorite against number 13, Iowa game played in Indianapolis. Both these teams are seeking their first Big Ten championship game victory. As we said before, Michigan, this is their first time in the championship game. Iowa lost in 2015. Phil, who you got? So this is the biggest spread outside of the AAC where Cincinnati's over number 21, Houston. Um, I've made my opinions on Iowa very clear this season. I think they suck. I don't think they can pass the ball well. I don't think they can run the ball well. I think their defense is average at best. And I think their fans this season have been pretty awful. And so I certainly hope they lose. Uh, and so I'm rooting for Michigan. I also think Michigan is going to win this game because I think McNamara is playing great football right now whenever it comes to leading the offense and managing it. I think Haskins and Corum are running the football incredibly well. And I think Ojobu and Hutchison on defense are going to be way too much for Iowa's offense to handle, and they're never going to be able to, to catch up. So I like Michigan big in this one. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I think this is going to be a low-scoring game between these two teams. I could see the defense score more touchdowns than the offense in this game. I could see you know, <laughs> maybe a strip sack touchdown for Michigan. Iowa seems to always have at least one pick six in games they're comp- at least competitive in. So don't be surprised by a defensive touchdown or two. But I, I think Michigan's the better team. The only thing you worry about, I guess, is just a letdown after finally beating Ohio State. Will they have the letdown here? And I think Harbaugh is a good enough coach to not let that happen. But it, I think it'll be a tough game. But uh, I, I got Michigan winning this one and clinching their place in the playoff as well. I like it. Whew. All right, Caleb. Well, that was uh, a lot of football to cover, all of it fun. We even got to do some breaking news. I didn't have a sound drop for breaking news. Disappointing. Mm-hmm. Something to consider in the future. But uh, all good stuff. And, uh, you know, this is a lot of fun to be able to do. Be sure to tune in next week whenever we are in our next podcast, whenever we spend a little bit more time diving into uh, the recaps in these games. Speaking of which, I want to go ahead and take a moment to thank the listeners for tuning in and uh, checking out our podcast. You know, we aren't by any stretch of the imagination 
professionals at this. We're just a couple buddies from college who decided, hey, let's not bore our wives with college football talk. Let's just talk to each other because we, you know, we basically spend Saturdays texting each other all day. So we decided to make a podcast about it. If you like what we hear, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast. That way you can get notifications anytime that there is a new podcast being released. Also, if you could drop us a rating on Apple Podcasts, uh, a five-star rating would be awesome. That way we can spread our love of college football with others. Caleb, any final words of wisdom before we sign off? Go Penn State. And sit at home. <laughs>